The games are done. The battle won and so all that's left to do is let the three best podcasters in the business bring you up to speed on what went down. Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast Recap Show. Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast. Where the only question is Does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! Welcome back, everybody, or if you're here for the first time, welcome just the same, I guess, um, to the Club Dub Football Podcast. JB, it's momentous. We've been talking about the impending arrival of real, actual competitive football. And if we're doing our first recap show of the season, that must mean at least some of those games are in the rearview mirror. So before we get into our thoughts on what I thought was an utterly fascinating, if not always of the highest standard, wildly entertaining week one. Let's give everyone in listener land the rundown of all the scores for anything you might have missed. So I'm going to start all the way back with Thursday night football, arguably one of the best games of the week and potentially the season. Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills absolutely steamroller the defending Super Bowl champ LA Rams in Los Angeles 31 to 10. Moving on to the Sunday slate of games, you have the New Orleans Saints going into Atlanta and the Falcons somehow grabbing defeat from the jaws of victory, losing a 16-point advantage to lose 27-26. The Baker Bowl and the revenge game for Baker Mayfield in Carolina Panthers colours didn't entirely work out. Some good plays, but sadly a 26-24 loss for Carolina and it's the Browns who move to 1-0. The San Francisco 49ers went into Chicago and battled in some of the worst weather conditions you are likely to see in a competitive NFL game. Ultimately, over four quarters, it was the Bears who were able to deal with that better as they get their first win of the season, 19-10. A game that I'm sure will be talked about much through this pod. The divisional matchup between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals. Somehow, the highest-powered offense in the league, arguably, only put up 20 points and one of the most challenged offences in the league with a little bit of help from their defence, let's say that, were able to put up 23. So in the end, after overtime, Pittsburgh Steelers 23, Cincinnati Bengals 20. Somehow, the Philadelphia Eagles didn't absolutely blow out the Detroit Lions, despite the Philly offence looking absolutely on fire. Every time they seemed to get any kind of advantage, it was Detroit to battle back. But ultimately, the Eagles victorious in the end, with the highest scoring game of the week, 38-35. to You then have one of the strange games of the season, again this falling just in week one, as the highly fancied Indianapolis Colts scored 20 points, but only time with the certainly not highly fancied Houston Texans. The New England Patriots show why defensive coordinators don't always make good offensive coordinators, losing 20 points to 7 against the Miami Dolphins. The Baltimore Ravens made their game against the New York Jets look incredibly easy, almost a nothing to see here game where they still managed to roll out of New York 20 24-9 winners. The Jacksonville Jaguars looked like they were getting outclassed for a while against the Washington Commanders before coming back to make the game really close. But it was Washington who ended up taking the victory 28-22. The New York Giants were getting absolutely hammered by the Tennessee Titans until they weren't. Incredibly, New York's G-Men 
win 21-20 in Tennessee. The Kansas City Chiefs, who we spent most of last week arguing about how they may struggle to win their division, certainly looked like early season Super Bowl favourites with a 44-21 thrashing of the Cardinals in Arizona. One of the games we picked out going into this week, the Las Vegas Raiders against the Los Angeles Chargers certainly didn't disappoint, but it was Herbert and the Chargers who were able to win 24-19. One of the biggest surprises of the week came when Green Bay only put up seven points on offense and were absolutely handed their first L of the season. Big W for Minnesota as they win 23-7. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers made it look easy, albeit against the Cowboys team that struggled without Dak Prescott after his injury. 19 three the Bucks win and we've possibly saved the strangest till last. Denver found it pretty easy to move the ball down the field at times. It was what they did once in the red zone that seemed most alarming. A number of turnovers, a number of fumbles and they weren't able to capitalise on all that great territory. They lose 17-16 in Seattle to the Seahawks. That is some week of games JB. Some stories to definitely be dissected. But I mean, before we get into specific stories, your overall impressions of week one, 2022. Bit weird, wasn't it? It's, yeah. How, how can you succinctly sum up a, a, a week one that included nobody in the AFC South winning, despite the fact that two of the teams played each other? Like... That it it is it is bonkers. We watched um, we watched games where teams looked like they were on the way to blowouts and just couldn't seem to put it away. We saw at least one game, I would say, that looked like a dynasty. Really, really putting that in in like the rearview mirror and really starting to flag out and. and uh, one one of our one of our prediction number likes to talk about the fact that he could be a kicker one hundred percent. And can anyone be a kicker? Can anyone kick the ball properly? Because in some cases, yes, there were there were reasons why, but like nobody seemed to be able to kick it properly. Like nobody could make a field goal when they needed to. It, it's still remarkable to me, and I appreciate it's not as simple as this, right? It, it's not like in soccer as we would call it, where we're ultimately, you know, your centre forwards, your goal scorers are the people worth so much money. I appreciate that a quarterback plays such an important role when it comes to the NFL, when it comes to football, but surely kickers remain one of the most undervalued um, assets in the league. I mean, if you have got a kicker, absolutely a money kicker, right? This guy does nothing but split the sticks look at a week like this week and just see how many teams rely on those great kickers to turn, you know, narrow losses into narrow victories. I mean, I know it's not that simple. I mean, we we'll probably talk about the Bengals in a bit. And I think the issue there was probably more the long snapper, you know, it's the other parts of the mechanics of the kicking unit that maybe let them down, but kickers being massively underappreciated seems to be something that we keep coming back to year after year. Um, well, I think you've you've picked up on something there in terms of mentioning the Bengals because to to borrow another like some a, a saying I associate with association football of how you can tell a good referee by not realizing they're there. And I think it's the same with a good specialist in the NFL, a good 
punt returner, a good gunner, a good long snapper. You don't really appreciate them until you don't have them anymore. And you absolutely saw that because like full credit to, to the tight end for the Bengals who stepped in when their long snapper got injured, like, like, like man, next man up went in and was like, you know what? I'm going to do my best with this, but with all due respect, they were the worst snaps of football we have ever seen. And and you can see the effect it had on Evan McPherson, who is right up there in the conversation of best kickers in the league currently. One of those money kickers. I mean, it's funny for me that the 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 issue we've now landed on, this issue of kickers, actually speaks to for me what was the broad issue, my broad takeaway from week one, is that the preseason changing has had such a lingering effect because we talked a couple of weeks ago on the pod about you change that four week preseason to three and it does things. It means you're far less likely to see starters playing. It means far more of the focus of preseason of those people on the periphery, kind of the edges of the roster and making sure you see them, you give them good game time before you make those roster cut decisions. And for me, what that translated to were a number of teams that just simply weren't ready. Right. They they didn't look and, and some of them, it's funny you talk about teams that look like they were going to get blown out and then kind of came back into it. I think we saw teams kind of find their way and kind of get into some kind of rhythm or find out how they could be effective. But to see that happening in week one, so much across the board, you know, almost every game having at least one, if not two of those teams that really felt like they were still figuring out things as they went for me was a, a real kind of, um, I don't know, hangover from this new preseason format. I think teams that were kind of getting better as game time went on, the Browns, I think the Jags, um, interesting, probably the Washington Commanders, they started pretty well, but then they they tended to, you know, shoot themselves in the foot at, at odd moments. Um, you get the sense that, that the Broncos absolutely haven't got it right yet. You get the sense the Colts haven't got it right. And and some of these teams I'm mentioning aren't even teams with new head coaches. Right, I could understand to an extent maybe the Broncos, although I think there's maybe a little more to, to what they did than just feeling, you know, somewhat ill-prepared after a poor preseason. But you look at the teams that take preseason seriously, you've got teams like the Ravens and the Bills who have this long record of consecutive preseason wins that go back two, three, four years. And both of those teams turn up week one ready to play. I appreciate there's the risk that you lose a star man and week one had its fair share of star injuries, but a couple of teams just didn't look ready. And do you know what? In a league where anything can happen, even good teams you know, in a couple of weeks' time, could find themselves 0-2, 0-3. I put the Cardinals in that mix, the Titans in that mix. You know, there's tough games coming up for some of these teams, and what they need to figure out, they need to figure out quickly. The the poster child for this kind of thing, I think, is always Bill Belichick at the Patriots. And that approach that they always seem to take of, I don't know what this team is going to be until the end of September. And kind of that just accepted reality of the fact that the Patriots will lose a couple, win a couple while Belichick works out what the team is and and works out what everybody's job is that they're going to do. And then the Patriots will march on. And this it's week one. No team has secured playoff positioning here. No team has eliminated themselves from playoff positioning. So we've got, I think we've got all, anybody who's discussing the NFL, you have to be very careful of not overestimating just what we've seen. But 
I think we can legitimately say if some teams carry on like they've started, they're in trouble. You you sort of mentioned the Cardinals there. I think the Cardinals had a bad kind of a bad shake, uh, uh, got drawn a bad hand by going up against the Chiefs in week one. I think it was it was a game at best you would say would be competitive that could go either way. And unfortunately it rolled out in that chiefs team that kind of Andy Reid always likes to establish of just, we'll just, we'll just put it on you and put it on you and put it on you. But for others, the Packers, I think need to be worried because it's not just that it was a loss and it's not just that it was a loss to the Vikings. It was the manner in which they went out and maybe you can make the case of they didn't have their starting left or right tackle. Um, David Bakhtiari at the left, I can't remember the rights. Um, if you can remember the name of the Green Bay Packers right tackle, please hit us up um, at the email address Rob's about to give you. Clubdubpodcast at mail.com. Um, or Twitter at clubdubpodcast. Um, but they also like, they got rid of Devontae Adams. They didn't have Alan Lazard. They had like pretty much no one on on the receiver kind of the table that had any kind of experience outside of Randall Cobb. And we have mentioned Randall Cobb before said, if if he is the linchpin that you are counting on driving your def- your, your offense forward, you need to rethink what your plan is. And they absolutely saw it. I think uh, we talked about it on Sunday. They've got a great combination of um, Aaron Jones and Andre Dillon. Dillon at running back actually looked, yeah. he, he was probably the, the the brightest light for them, actually, I thought hmm. on Sunday. I thought he looks like he runs well. And I think they've got a, a really good one-two um, in, in those pair at running back. But... I don't know. I mean, to take your point, and I don't think I'm disagreeing. I think I'm broadly following. When you're looking at a receiver core and going, you know, these guys really look like they miss Lazard. I just don't see that there's a huge, huge uptick in productivity. I mean, I think they'll probably work it out and I think players will get better. But I think this season could end up being just like you said a real week one overreaction but i think it's probably more the case that you know they are not talent rich they are not as talented as they have been in previous years uh and a quarterback can only take you so far um i don't know could end up eating those words brady seemed to be able to do it with a lot of different people in that supporting cast maybe rogers can too but it it certainly feels like the worst group of receivers he's had in if not recent memory ever. I mean, has there ever been a a lighter room at receiver in Green Bay than that? No, and this is what they're being punished for. Like, we have, I, I think, publicly on the podcast, privately quite a lot, talked about one of the greatest missed opportunities in NFL history of recent years, and that being Andrew Luck, the quarterback for the Colts at the time, you know, highly, highly touted out of college kind of was hailed as the next big thing. And I still maintain like my, one of my first proper memories of watching the NFL was that playoff game against the chiefs when they, they fumbled the ball trying to run it in and the lines parted and all you had was luck just with the football diving, stretching over and kind of came with like the slogan luck. Sometimes it's all you need. And that that was a guy who was doing everything for his team because of of bad bad uh, general managership. Really, it, I can't put it all on Chuck Pagano, but ultimately they broke him 
and based on his like appearances for like college football stuff at the weekend, doesn't seem like a guy that misses it. What you are now looking at is yeah. for the Packers, based on this week and this week alone, is a team that very much looked like it needed someone else there to support their all-universe Hall of Fame surefire MVP quarterback and just not getting anything from it at all. And I mean, there is not wanting to dive too deep into the Packers when there's a lot of rich pickings really from week one, but there is this argument that obviously Rogers has been paid a lot of money. And when you pay a quarterback that much money and it's right up there, you know, what, what cap space do you leave? But I still think they just liked to me that there were players out there that are not expensive players to bring in. There was, there was a strategy they could have taken in the draft. And, you know, I compare, you know, Green Bay to maybe say the Texans, you know, they're also a bit like a wide receiver. They've got what Cooks, I suppose, is the one. I mean, I actually don't think there's anyone as good as um, as good as Cooks in the, in the receiver room in Green Bay. But the difference is, I think that Houston are in some form of rebuild or at least appreciate realistically where they are. Green Bay just need that absolute shock to say, Do you know, what? there's going to be probably a point in this franchise's history where we're not going to have a Hall of Fame quarterback sitting in the quarterback room, you know, to go from Brett Favre to, to Aaron Rodgers. I mean, this feels like a real sad end to what could be the Rodgers tenure if, if he bows out after a season like this with just so little support around him. Um, I, can't, I can't see this being a little bit more. So Packers fans, we're giving you what you want. Um, a little bit more on Rodgers. I, I can't imagine if it's a bad season like this, like it carries on being. I can't imagine this will be his last one. I, I feel... Yeah, last one in Green Bay is possible though, right? Potentially, but I think that will just drive Rodgers specifically on further. And say what you want about, uh, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers and his opinions and his immunizations and all of those kind of bits and pieces. He he is a guy who quite obviously, like Tom Brady, uses real and imagined slights to push him forwards. And like, think about what a couple of, couple of seasons ago, you know, the Packers started badly and when Rogers was asked about it, that was, it was the famous relax kind of speech and the the Packers went on from there. I think that's good, but getting just stomped by Mm. like Kirk cousins, like the, the Tesco value of quarterbacks. No, 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 no. I I think, I think Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback, but I mean, you, you could probably argue the Vikings have as good a receiver room as there is in football, actually. And I think you you absolutely saw that that difference. I, I picked Minnesota. I mean, I didn't pick many games um, correctly last week in our, our lovely predictions. Again, find them on uh, social media. Um, but I did pick the Vikings because I think, I, th- I just think they're a better team. I think they're better set up. I like what they've done bringing Hicks in at linebacker. I, I think they're, they've got a stingy enough defense and a, and a good enough offense to maybe do something this year. But I mean, if... If if we're maybe in danger of overreacting about Green Bay, there's kind of another few interesting stories, right? One of them is, I mean, let me just be quick on this one. San Francisco against Cleveland. You've got Trey Lance, uh, sorry, against Chicago. You've got Trey Lance saying, um, you know, we need to get better. L- let's calm down a bit on that. that. That was a game in freakish weather conditions where turnovers and even 
without the turnovers, there was a restricted playbook on both sides for coaches, knowing the conditions they were playing in. I didn't see a problem with San Francisco in the areas I'd want to see. People remain largely healthy. They're a force. What is bizarre for me is that a number of the teams that won in week one, I think should be more worried than a number of teams that lost. And I I hate to push this one to you. The Cardinals are in this mix, but I think top of that list is the Steelers. When you look at what the defense did in terms of points and turnovers, field position, I mean, you name it. To win just the way they won, I think probably masks the fact that Pittsburgh could have a very long season if they don't really make that change at quarterback soon. Um, so I don't know. Is, is Trubisky the answer for anybody? Because it, it didn't look like a lot was going well with that unit for me on Sunday. So the, the two big questions that I would have asking winning teams this week, and one of them we've already, we kind of, we talked about on Sunday is how is it that you can turn the ball over four times in a game and beat your opponents by 21 points? Because like we're talking about games that we talked about last week, the Rams and the Bills was one of the games we talked about last week. I sat up and watched that until 4.30 in the morning and it was great. It was such an amazing game to watch. Yeah. After, after several weeks, several like seasons of kind of dull, performative oh well we've got the whole season let's just let's raise the banner and 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 have a good time the bills absolutely came out of that being like no 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 this is about us now and and you can you can go from it from there the Steelers became the first team with four plus interceptions five plus turnovers in total seven plus sacks and a pick six in the same game since the Falcons in 2002, week 12. So nearly 20 years ago. The Steelers haven't done this before in franchise history, and it hasn't been done in week one since the Lions did it in 1967. How do you have a historically relevant game and beat your opponent in overtime because the other team's long snapper did his shoulder in and they couldn't snap the ball properly to get kicks off. And you, you, you asked me the question of is Trubisky the answer? Honestly, yes, because the question isn't, is Trubisky the right quarterback to lead the Steelers to victory is, is Trubisky the right quarterback to put behind that offensive line while they're Swiss cheese and while they're working themselves out before we put Kenny Pickett in front of it and go from there. And it it is borderline sociopathic there, I think, in terms of the fact that I'm essentially sacrificing Mitchell Trubisky, potentially Mitchell Trubisky's health for the benefit of the team. But ultimately, Kenny Pickett's not going to do any better because he needs to learn how to play the game properly and he can't play behind that offensive line. That's the thing that needs to be solved. Well, there's a few other things. I mean, for, for quarterbacks that have come back to be QB1, and there's a couple of them. I mean, Baker Mayfield, it's a bit odd to count him there because although he was never going to be QB1 this season in Cleveland, he he did end last season, I suppose, as their QB1. But I thought Marcus Mariota looked pretty good in spells. 
I mean, again, what's around him might be as much of a limiting factor to Atlanta as, as his play, but I thought he looked pretty good. Um, I mean, bizarrely, I I thought probably Matt Ryan was a bit of a disappointment in Indianapolis. I, I probably expected on the flip side of that Falcon story for him to be better. I thought actually that Washington looked reasonable on offense at times. Um, and I suppose you've even got to mention Seattle, haven't you? I mean, they they did more than I expected with Geno Smith. Um, so, I mean, on the one hand, you've got a number of people coming back who are, you know, certainly not long-term answers, but did okay. I would probably say that, if anything, Pittsburgh was, was kind of the odd one out. I, I did expect a little bit more maybe from Trubisky in that offense with a number of still pretty talented young pieces at wide receiver and a pretty good running back, to be fair. I think it was a game. It was a game with questions coming out of it for the Steelers. It's a game coming out with questions for the Bengals, quite obviously. But the the benefit of it is, um, was it uh, Jesse Ventura used to say this about the honky tonk man? It's better to be lucky than good. And ultimately you want to be lucky and have a game like that where your offense struggles to do anything, but your defense just absolutely commands the field and walks all over everything that they're going to do. So it was beneficial that the Steelers got out of it with that benefit. But like we talked about on Sunday, when we were watching it, you are not going to be able to count on a performance like that every week. So the offense needs to solve it pretty quickly. Um, just while just while we mentioned in the Seahawks and the Broncos, only game this week that I didn't stay up and watch because why on earth would you? And you know, if you'd made a bet that the Seahawks would have a better record than the Broncos this season, you got to be feeling pretty pretty good right now. Well, I I still feel far more confident about the Broncos, but I mean, again, we might end up talking about these games in detail, so I'll be careful, but. You know, that that was probably the game where I thought the new head coach was most obvious. I actually thought what was done by um, Miami um, with McDaniel was good. I liked what was done in Minnesota. So there's a number of teams actually where the new head coach, I actually thought Jacksonville looked pretty good in parts. Um, but yeah, I thought Denver, there was there was a lot of, poor decision-making and mismanagement from the sideline that probably had more of an impact. But again, if, if teams lo- learn these lessons quickly, I don't think they necessarily need to lower their horizons just yet. You know, I, it, it's funny. You, you just said all that stuff about Pittsburgh and, and Cincinnati. And my thought listening to you was, I think I'd feel happier being with the Bengals because I'd be sitting in that locker room going, today we made every mistake you can possibly make. We turned the ball over at a historically high level. Things we know we're better than, things we know we're not going to do, and we still nearly won the game. You know, there's there's probably more positives there, I think, than maybe the Steelers, particularly with the fact that TJ Watt, well, it's not as bad as we thought on Sunday night. As we record this, it's what, six weeks, no surgery, they think, or maybe six to eight weeks, no surgery. They are, the Steelers are searching for a second opinion to be certain. The general rumor appears to be that they think this is something that he can, he can say, sit out for six to eight weeks. He can rehab it. He can let it heal naturally. And then he will be fine without having to go through surgery. This is also 
uh, the similar injury that JJ suffered last yeah. year or the year before, where he yeah. came back in about eight weeks. So hopefully the that uh, Wolverine healing factor is is prevalent in in every one of the Watt family, and and TJ comes back stronger than ever. I hope so. Not only for you as a Steelers fan, but as an NFL fan, he's just. I mean, just box office, isn't he? I mean, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, there's a few of them at quarterback and receiver, and you see more of those superstars on the offensive side of the ball. But he is an absolutely bona fide um, superstar. And the reigning, does that make him defending or does that not quite? He is the reigning, reigning. defending, undisputed Defensive Player of the Year. year. Yeah, thoroughly deserved, I thought, last year as well, although I thought Donald is is always worth mentioning in those conversations. So anyway, so we've kind of rolled around the list, and there's an awful lot because some of this could be the start of an unfortunate or exciting pattern for these teams. It could just be that week one mirage where we all get really excited about a storyline that goes nowhere. So having done the kind of overview and picked out some of our tastier morsels, what was your game of the weekend, JB? So the interesting and important thing to, to decide on here is this is what was my favorite game of the week? Not what did I think was the best game of the week? Not yeah. was not which was the best performance, which was the game that I thought was the best and most enjoyable. And I am going to take us to soldier field chicago nice because i mean we 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 are uh, brits just in case anyone who's listening hasn't worked that out by now and i think we have that kind of um inherent love of the underdog and just uh, an nfl where the bears are relevant is a better nfl the, the 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 kind of just after a while it gets bored like it's not like picking on like the browns or the jags or the ravens for being terrible and making terrible decisions with statues they put outside their stadiums and stuff but just looking at that bears team who are kind of shouted down looked down upon oh the bears haven't done anything to improve oh the bears are still terrible and watching them come out at half time make those adjustments to the weather and pull away and actually beat the uh the team that aldrin you know unlikely super bowl favorite that they are the the 49ers who kind of you would have expected more from from 10 points with a weapon like um trey lance and yeah. a mind like kyle shanahan Yes, the weather will have impeded an awful lot of that. However, to my mind, in the conditions like that, what do you want to do? You want to run the football more. Yes, again, the uh, the 49ers suffered when Earl Mitchell, Elijah Mitchell, sorry, went out injured. Mm. But you like Trey Lance because he's a dual threat quarterback. Run him more. So it was just, it was just weird to watch it happen and just kind of think, hang on a minute, are, are the Bears good? Now that is a great question because I think the 49ers are. I don't think you can judge the 49ers based on a performance in those conditions. What was interesting is that you had players making plays in Chicago, you know, players. Um, putting pressure on a quarterback, playing the game physically. It, it did feel like there was kind of an energy 
um, about Chicago. So that will be an interesting and, and catch up with our Thursday night show to see, you know, maybe whether we pick them out there. But but it will be interesting to see whether the Bears are good. Uh, I think that is the question. 49ers, I, I, I don't worry about them in the slightest. I think they'll be there or thereabouts. What the Bears can do, particularly off what we've just seen from the Packers and to an extent the Lions. I think if I was to judge week one, I'd say the Lions were probably a bit better than I expected, certainly on offense, a bit more punchy, a bit more exciting. I thought the Vikings were definitely better. I thought the Packers were obviously worse. So where do the Bears fit in? And is there a relevant story for Chicago this year? Um, can Fields you know, really land it this year? Can he get over some of those kind of rougher rookie edges and play faster and more accurate football. Um, that is the question. Yeah, I think that's a super one to land on. And not wanting to get into our preview show, which of course will be coming up and you can get it uh, on iCast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Indeed you can. Um, it's, it's Sunday Night Football Bears Packers this week. And boy, howdy, if that, that doesn't have a, a better ring to it than it did maybe two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And and particularly the way that, I mean, Aaron Rodgers has, you know, if if we were an American podcast, we would probably say that Rodgers has owned the Bears through most of his career. There are the famous interactions with fans. And, and who would bet against Rodgers turning it on next week, flipping all these storylines on their head and, and, you know, leading the Packers to another famous win over a hapless Bears team. But it it doesn't feel as likely as it maybe felt a few months ago, does it? It does feel like there are other possibilities all of a sudden. And and that would be a, a sign of progress for Chicago, even though I think Green Bay are in a bit of a mess. So my game of the week. Um, and again, do you know what? I'm not going to go for the most. I, th- I think the most exciting games, I think we've already touched on things like Cincinnati against Pittsburgh. I also think we've touched on um, the Eagles against the Lions. That was bizarre because as close as it sounds, it, was, it wasn't one of those games where the lead changed multiple times. I mean, once really the Eagles got going, it was more a case of the Lions trying to play catch up and, and ultimately running out of time. So the most interesting game um, for me um, I'm going to pick out is the New England Patriots against the Miami Dolphins. You talked about the end of a dynasty earlier, and you could apply that to a number of teams. You could apply that to the, the Steelers, you know, life after a big Ben and obviously him lifting the Lombardi. But I think New England are in a really interesting phase. Mac Jones threw for three and a half thousand yards um, last season, did a much better job than I expected and actually has I mean, it's not great talent, but I think he has got multiple capable receivers. You've then got the fact that Bill Belichick has this knowledge and ability to coach up teams, probably like no coach before him. And arguably, you know, I wonder if we'll see many since. But, and the but is coming, this should have been a recipe for Belichick's success, right? He is up against a rookie head coach, 
Um, and these are the type of games where we've seen Belichick in the past, whether it's been rookie head coach or rookie quarterback, school these guys, right? Absolutely take them apart with a game plan that they couldn't have planned for, couldn't have worked round, couldn't have worked through. And it was one of those games where if the Patriots had have done that again, you would have talked about this being, you know, a Belichick forte, you know, just, just something he always does so consistent and it didn't happen. Um, I thought, the use of Tyreek Hill by the Dolphins was interesting. There was as much short as there was deep. There was that kind of desire clearly to try and find him in spaces where he could add yards after the catch, which, you know, was certainly something over the years we've seen in Kansas City, but he maybe didn't have quite that type of season last year. You had Tua Tungavailoa looking to me like a, a transformed quarterback at points in terms of what he's prepared to do, his willingness to go deep. And if all of the talk last week when we talked was about Tyreek Hill, I mean, Waddle looked really sharp. You know, you, you look at Chase Edmonds in the backfield that they've got from Arizona and he looked great. You know, he looked like an absolute ball catching, but equally smart running, running back that fits perfectly into that type of system. Um, for me, the most interesting game of the week was was Dolphins 20, New England 7. Low on action. I mean, the Patriots didn't even score till, I mean, it was certainly second half, wasn't it? I was about to say late in the game, but but till the second half. And it was strange because even when they put their first points on the board, it just, it just never felt like Miami were going to relinquish that. It always felt like they had enough to broadly keep New England in check. And that's unusual. You know, that is unusual because it's the kind of game you would expect, even with the talent probably being more on Miami's side of the ball, you would expect Belichick to have an answer and to come up with something. Um, it's so much of their season for me hangs on that Matt Patricia experiment. Of, of Ultimately, they've got too many defensive minds involved in the offensive side of the football without the experience of someone like a Tom Brady to pull that all together and fill in the gaps. It, it's not, I don't think it's fair to, to name it as the, the Matt Patricia experiment because it's the Matt Patricia and Joe judge experiment, because we're still not entirely sure who's calling the play. There was, there was a point when we were watching red zone, when you had a sideline shot of the both of them and both of them appeared to be calling things in. And yes, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge have had great success on the defensive sides of the ball. But if you look at their most recent successes as the head coach of the Detroit Lions and the New York football giants, respectively, they suck being be like there is absolutely no way those performances would land them on anybody else's staff but Bill Belichick's. And now you are again, like we talked about with the Packers, you are seeing, if it continues like this, the folly of not advancing forwards. You've lost Josh McDaniels to the Las Vegas Raiders and have not replaced him with an equally sharp offensive mind. You also have a quarterback that people can have faith in him, right? People have faith in an awful lot of stuff. A lot of people are wrong. And 
like Mac Jones has never shown me anything to prove that he is anything above like a, a Ryan Tannehill bang average quarterback. And that team needs more than that to survive. I also Ooh. will call out the fact that I, I saw, saw the stat this week. Tua Tungavailoa is currently 4-0 against Bill Belichick. I mean, that is a phenomenal stat. I mean, a, a quick one for me. Um, there is nothing wrong with an average quarterback in the NFL. There are an awful lot of teams with below average quarterbacks. Now, now your point, the latter part of your point, that do they need something better than Mac Jones to be competitive with what they've got going across that entire roster? Possibly, you know, for them to to be a playoff team and to be a you know a, a postseason team, maybe they do need something better than Mac Jones. But Mac Jones is capable enough like Tannehill in in Tennessee is capable enough that if you do good things they're they're not going to be the reason you lose I don't think Tannehill is very often the reason that Tennessee lose equally with an average quarterback you can't always put the game on their back either can you You can't put it on their shoulders and say you know lead us to victory um this is the, the New England experiment is definitely one I'll be looking at keenly, not only in week two, but the weeks ahead, really. There's a lot there. Um, so to round out our recap show, JB, we've talked about teams. We've talked about themes. I now want to talk about players. Performance of the week. Who would be your standout? And I'm happy for you to give me one on offense, one on defense. Special teams, I think they, they deserve very little of our attention in, in a week like that. Um, give me one O, one D. Can can I give you one that, that doesn't play on either side? Can I give you one that, that sits on the sideline? If you, or stands if on the sideline? Because it's it's Brian Dable. Oh, like, go on. All abs- right. Yeah, absolutely go on. before like <laughs> We we just talked about we just briefly hit on Joe Judge and the yeah. the absolute travesty that his career was with the New York Football Giants. How do you, as a first time head coach in the NFL, avoid almost all of the 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 the, the pitfalls that a rookie head coach has? Again, please see Nathaniel Hackett in um in Seattle this week yeah, for the Broncos. Yeah. yeah, not just that. How do you get get shown? Very, very obviously getting right up in your quarterback's face because you're very displeased with how he's done to then win with that Giants team. Because that Giants team, with with respect to all of the Giants fans that listen, um, Glenn, I think Glenn's a Giants fan. Hi, Glenn. Um, just, you, you're terrible. Like the, the Giants are a terrible football team that now have a better record than either of the teams that competed in the Super Bowl last year. And like so much of it has to come from what Dabble has instilled in that team. You, We, we talk about the Patriots. The Patriots are a reflection of Bill Belichick down. We've seen, we've watched multiple America's games where, which have gone through the successes of the now Washington Commanders, led by one of Club Dub's favourite coaches of all time, Coach Gibbs. And the Washington Commanders are a reflection of, you see, you hear them talking in interviews and saying they're just repeating the words that he said without realising that's what you're doing. Good coaches and good teams are synonymous with each other in terms of how they perform. And you just kind of get the feeling that maybe he's, he's onto something there because that, that 
that kind of screaming fit at, at Daniel Jones, Rob Rowe's favorite, could have gone so badly. If the Giants had lost, all anybody in like talking head sport wise would have been talking about was what a disgrace that was. What are they doing? What a disaster it is. And maybe someone getting up in his face is what Daniel Jones has needed all this time. You know, we talked about week one overreactions. Watch this space. Uh, I think (sighs) I've got nothing against the head coach. Uh, I think Saquon Barkley had a great game and that's going to be key to them, you know, short, medium and long term to their success. Um, Who knows? Strange things have happened. Um, But yes, it does feel like somebody needs to instill a culture at the Giants. It feels like they've been missing that really since what the Coughlin era, I think. I mean, I know that didn't end well, but long eras very rarely end well, you know, but anytime you've got a coach who leads you to a Super Bowl, you can ordinarily say that more things have gone right than gone wrong yeah um i'm gonna if you've gone coach then i'm gonna go d and i'm gonna go o d i'm gonna be really really quick um i'm gonna go for tj watt i said earlier on um that i think the league will miss him if he's out for six to eight weeks because i think he's just so exciting to watch i think you see the difference that these players who on their own can generate a pass rush you see what they can do for their teams you you saw what von miller did for the bills you've seen you know over and over what aaron donald can do for the rams and i think to see tj watt and and not only how how much of a wrecking ball he is on his own but how he creates opportunities for other players to make great plays he he makes the quarterback release that ball that little bit quicker he he makes the running back go left when maybe he should have gone right he he is a game changer and on that side of the ball he's he's one of only four or five highest scorers of the week were obviously kansas city but right up there were the philadelphia eagles who you know, bizarrely seem to have just landed on a formula that I think could make them really dangerous this year. I think Hertz looked every inch a starting quarterback. Um, and I know there were times when I doubted him. And I think Aldrin, um, who sadly can't be with us this week on his travels um, well into mainland Europe, um, I think he had doubts about Hertz, but I think he looked the real deal um, at the weekend. But it's not Jalen Hertz I want to pick out. This is a stat line. Right. So if I look at the uh, Philadelphia Eagles receivers, 13 targets, 10 receptions, 155 yards and yards per of 12, A.J. Brown looked motivated, looked fast, looked strong, looked not only like he was going to catch anything thrown in his direction, but when he caught it, looked like it was going to take more than two players to bring him down each and every time. And I think what I had underestimated, to an, and then week one overreaction, but you know, we're in week one, we're allowed these. Um, what I'd underestimated is maybe just how good a player he was. I thought he was a good player. I thought he was a great player, in fact. I thought he was top five in the league. But I thought in a team where so much focus of the defense goes on the running back, you know, so much is is geared around keeping Henry quiet when you're playing the Titans, you know, to see him do what he did for the Eagles in his first appearance in white and green, as it was um, at the weekend, I thought was really special. And do you know what? If If the Cowboys don't get it right again, and if they're not in a reasonable position by the time 
Dak is back. Um, the Eagles are going to take some stopping in that division for me. I think Commanders look better. I, th- I think the Giants look worse, despite everything you've said. But I, I think the Eagles looked pretty close to the real deal on offense. Lots of questions on defense when you ship 35 points to the Lions, right? But on offense, you've got to think all that money they spent in free agency looks like very good money spent. There's no flop there is there AJ Brown is a superstar. Um, I'll, I'll keep my my kind of comments in, in, in reply as short as I possibly can. Um, absolutely with you on the Eagles. That offense looked, looked great. It looked deadly. Nick... Uh, Something or other. <laughs> Nick something or other. It can't, I'm not going to try and pronounce it. Nick Sirianni. The coach of the Eagles in the in his first era, it, it looks like the first time that offense is really, really good. I think you are bold to pick TJ Watt as your defensive performance of the week when I don't believe and this is me as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, that TJ Watt was the best person on his own team's defense this week. I, if I'm picking, if I'm picking players, I am absolutely picking Minka Fitzpatrick for that. The pick six to change the, not only change the tone of the game, but set the tone in the game. That was at the very beginning. The game kind of hinged on him getting the block in for the, for the, to, to make sure everything stayed tight and it went into overtime. You watch stuff like that. And I think about Steelers fans who thought it was a mistake send in a first round pick to Miami for him. I still stand by the fact that I think it's what TJ Watt does up front that creates opportunities further back. But there's a fair argument. Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, he, he wasn't in my top three, maybe. But but equally, you know, I'll, I'll maybe let you get that in as a Steelers fan. You probably watch that a little more closely than me. So um, all that's left to do, and it feels rather sad to do this in his absence, JB, is tell everyone in Listenerland who predicted the most games won correctly in week one. And the sad news, considering we're both here, is that it's neither of us. Yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't a, it wasn't a great uh, great kickoff week for the uh, the Club Dub Football podcast. Of the four of us, only one person finished with a winning record. Um uh, you and I both came last with six and ten. Uh, PB, not on the podcast, still in our hearts, uh, was second with seven and nine, which meant James Aldrin takes week one victory with an immense, a massive nine and seven. In the circumstance after the kind of week one we had where the Seahawks end up beating the Broncos and the Bears end up beating the, uh, beating the 49ers, I think... Um, yeah, credit where credit's due. And there is some good games picked. Giants beating Tennessee. Did any of us go Giants beating Tennessee, actually? Not sure. No, nope. everybody went Titans. Yeah. And oh, everybody... no, sorry. I tell I tell a lie. I'm look, just looking at the thing now. Only one of us picked the Giants instead of the Titans. And can you guess who that was? It's going to be PB, right? No, it was Aldrin. And I believe it was that renegade thinking that led <laughs> him to victory. Maker. There you go. Congratulations, Aldrin. We uh, miss having you on the Club Dub podcast this week. It'll be just the two of us on Thursday uh, with Aldrin back with us next week. Um, But we hope you enjoyed the recap show. Um, Keep an eye, as JB said, on Spotify or I guess or really wherever you uh, find your podcasts for our next show that will drop sometime Thursday morning. 
Um, JB, thanks for your company. More gold standard at podding. Let's come back and do some more in a couple of days. Let's do it. Remember to subscribe and be cool. Tell your friends. The game is over!